0: Thank you Ernesto for being here today coming to share with us what uh, God is doing and it's always great to hear the work that God is doing in other places around the world and uh, you're a part of that, part of the work that God's doing and as I was looking at the pictures earlier this morning I was just thinking and thinking about all the different languages uh, that are there that they are reaching and what it's going to be like one day in heaven when we are all together and we're all celebrating in one language and hearing stories of how God has changed lives all around the world. And that's going to be a, a great time for all of eternity, hearing what uh, God did to change lives. So uh, let's thank Ernesto one more time for the work that he's doing and how God is using him. All right, if you would, this morning, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts the ninth chapter. I don't know if you've thought about this or not but uh, it has been 28 days since we celebrated Easter. 28 days and I don't know about you but in my life there's been a lot of things that have gone on in that last 28 days. And we learned that after Easter, if you'll remember the week after Easter, uh, Shane's message, he mentioned that after the resurrection of Christ, that he was here on this earth for 40 days. Now, a lot of things have happened in our 28 days. Imagine what all can happen in 40 days while Christ was here on this earth. And we have looked at a few of those. Uh, If you'll remember, uh, we looked back and we saw the significance of the 40 days and The reason that this is so significant is Christ is showing his followers, revealing to his followers that he truly is alive and that he has conquered the grave. Remember that Jesus made very bold statements before he went to the cross. And one of those very bold statements was that I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, he shall live. Those who believe in me will never die. Now that's a very bold statement. But you know, reality is anybody can make that statement, right? And just because you make that statement doesn't mean that it is true. But Christ made that statement and not only did he make that statement, but then he backed it up when he conquered death and he conquered the grave forever. And that is good news for us, and we celebrate that. We celebrate it at Easter, but it's something we should be remembering every day of our life, that we serve a risen Savior, that he is alive, and he is well, and he is at work in people's lives. And so in that 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus is showing his followers that I did what I said I was going to do. And when I say that I'm the resurrection in the life, I mean that I am the resurrection in the life. You can trust what I say and it was also during that 40 days he wasn't just revealing himself but he was doing a few other things one that we've already looked at is he was restoring and remember the story he restored peter peter had an epic failure remember the story of peter christ said you're going to deny me three times and peter said lord i will never deny you i'll go with you all the way to the cross and then what happened peter ended up denying christ three times pretty serious and Peter was down and, you know, he had to be so discouraged. And Christ, after the resurrection, sits down with Peter. The other disciples are able to witness this. And he sits down with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He goes through that three times. And it was a great time of restoring Peter. Peter from his epic failure. And that's good news for all of us in our lives because there are times that we're gonna mess up, times that we're gonna fail, and God does not turn away from us at those times. God can restore us. Not only did we see that it restored, we also saw that Christ took some time to send out his disciples. Remember in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells the disciples, he said, you're gonna go into all of the world And you're going to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's giving them a mission. He is sending them out. And in Acts chapter 1, we saw where he talked to the disciples and he tells them, you're going to go, but before you go, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you're going to have power and you're going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses all around the world. And so he sends out the disciples. And I find this amazing that he sends out these uh, disciples, I find it amazing for a couple reasons. One, when you look at the disciples, uh, this is a pretty big plan that God has of changing the world. And he's not choosing the elite, the best of the best, all all these top-notch guys to go out and be a part of this plan. He is choosing ordinary, everyday people. That's what we just see in the disciples in the Scripture. They're just ordinary, everyday people, just like you and I. And he says, you're going to go out and you are going to change the world. Because he takes ordinary people, and through the ordinary people, he does the extraordinary. I also find this impressive for another reason. These same followers of Christ were the the ones that were distant during the crucifixion they may have been watching from a distance or they may have been like peter and, and denying that they even know who this christ is it was these same followers that after the crucifixion that were hiding behind locked doors because they were afraid for their very lives and jesus tells them you're going to go and you're going to go in power and you're going to change the world And that's exactly what they did. These that were afraid before are now going out as bold witnesses of Christ. So bold in their witness that now it will cost some of them their very lives. Something changed. Something happened. What was it that changed and happened? Well, it was coming face to face with the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something today? Anytime you come face-to-face with the resurrected Christ, your life will be changed. Man, I wish we were in church today. I want you to think about that. Anytime you come face-to-face with the resurrected Christ, you will not be the same. I promise you that. Your life will be changed in one way or another. You will be changed by recognizing who He is and accepting who He is and following Him or you will be changed with your heart getting colder and colder because you're rejecting the resurrected Christ. And we see that in Scripture. We see that lives are changed when they come into the presence of the resurrected Christ. And it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, the disciples, I can see how their life was changed because they had a physical encounter with Christ. They were able to see the the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. They were able to see where the sword pierced his side. They were able to sit down and physically visit with him. So it's easy to see how their lives were changed. But what about those that could not physically be with Christ? Can their lives be changed as well? Well, I'm glad that you asked. That is the story that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 9 this morning we're going to see the story, the testimony of a life that has changed. This story comes after the ascension of Christ. By the way, next week we'll be looking at the ascension of Christ uh, and the meaning of that for us today. But it's later down the road. The disciples have gone out. They've done what God has told them to do. They're going out and they're taking the gospel message around the world and lives are being changed. And because of this, There's a religious group, the religious leaders, the same religious leaders that were upset with Christ are now upset with this movement that is continuing to spread and people's lives are being changed. So they're upset with this and they want to do something to stop this. And there was a man whose name originally was Saul. We know him as Paul today, but his name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And we see Saul come on the screen, scene, and we first see Saul come on the scene in Acts chapter 7. But in Acts chapter 6, there's a story about a man named Stephen. Now, Stephen was a uh, man of God. Stephen was a follower of Christ, and he was doing great work and sharing the story of Christ. And many people were coming to know Christ through what Stephen was doing in his uh, preaching and his teaching how to be a disciple. Well again, this this makes the religious leaders mad and we see that uh, there's a group of Jews that come uh, to Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and and they're going to try to mess up what Stephen is doing. And so these are smart Jews. These are well-trained Jews. They, They know the Old Testament law and what they're going to do is begin a debate with Stephen and try to get him somewhere in that debate to blaspheme God. And by doing this, they can put a stop to what Stephen is doing. But they begin this conversation with Stephen, they begin this debate with him, and they find out real quick, they are going nowhere. Because Stephen is able to debate them in the power of God that is working through them. Matter of fact, scripture tells us this about Stephen, that Stephen was full of God's grace and power. And so when these folks confronted Stephen, they confronted that grace and power of God that was working through him. And since they couldn't trap Stephen, they couldn't do anything against him, they came up with a plan. And they got some other folks, they said, you need to go to the, to the council and you need to tell them that you heard this man Stephen blaspheme Moses and blaspheme God. And so they came up with a lie. They went to the council, and they said, here's what we heard. So the council has Stephen arrested there. He's brought before the council. And the high priest of the council looks at Stephen, and he said, are these charges against you true? Now, Stephen could have just looked at him and said, no, absolutely not. But that's not what he does. Stephen looks at them, and he goes all the way back to the Old Testament, and he starts with Abraham and he goes through Abraham, and he goes through Moses, and he goes through the prophets in the Old Testament. And he's pointing out to them these uh, Jewish leaders that were well-trained in the Old Testament, so they knew the stories. And he tells them through all of these stories that the Jewish people had an opportunity to receive the Spirit of God, and they continued to reject what God was doing over and over and over. And he gets through telling them, giving them this history lesson that they all knew. And he looks at them, and I can almost picture him looking, pausing for a moment, looking each one in the eye, and saying, how long are you going to continue to reject? Well, this makes the council furious. And they now come after Stephen, and uh, they are mad. And they're going to stop Stephen no matter what. And so through that story, we see that they take Stephen outside the city and they're going to stone him. And we see this in chapter 7 then. As they get ready to stone him in verse 48, it says they take off their coats and they lay them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now the reason that this is important is because for them to lay the coats down at the feet of this man named Saul says a lot about Saul. There's a reason that that is thrown into the Scripture, and I believe it's because of this. I believe that it is Saul that was behind the arrest of Stephen and behind having him brought before the council, and now the council is letting Saul know that we're with you, we believe you, we lay our coats down at your feet, and you get to witness the stoning of this man that you brought to us. Saul, this young man who was going to stop, This Christian movement, at any cost, was behind what happened that day. So, at this point, the persecution of the believers continues on. It's getting worse and worse. So now, the believers are being scattered because of that persecution. Now, you think that 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 would be a bad thing, but actually, this is a good thing. Because as the believers are being scattered out into the world, guess what's happening? The gospel message of Christ is now going out into different parts of the world doing what Jesus said you're going to do. You're going to go into all of the world and be my witnesses. How's that going to happen? Well, here's part of it. Persecution is going to take place. You're going to scatter. And as you scatter, as you go, you're going to take the gospel message with you and you're going to reach people who have never heard, never knew, never believed. This is happening. Well... Again, the Jewish leaders are not liking this. And they've got to stop this movement, whatever the cost. And that's where this man Saul is playing a huge role. And that's where I want us to pick up in our story today. In Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And Stop right there for a second. That's very important wording that he uses. It says, he was uttering threats with every breath. So it is this, Saul, on every breath that is coming in, he is uttering threats against this movement. And with every breath that is going out, he is uttering thoughts of this movement. This was Paul's life. Saul at this time, this was his life. He was going to stop this movement no matter what the cost. He was going to do everything he could. That's what his purpose was at this moment. That's what his life was about. So he went to the high priest. And he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now I want you to understand when he says he's going after these followers of the way... At this point, the church wasn't called the church. They weren't called Christians. They were called the way. And so Saul goes and he requests letters of the high priest that gives him authority everywhere that he goes to arrest anyone who claims to be a follower of the way and not just arrest them, but he's going to chain them and he's going to march them from wherever he finds them into the city of Jerusalem for all to see and they are going to put them on trial, kill them if they need to, or get them to uh, renounce their belief. Saul is very serious. Saul is very passionate in what he is doing. And he continues on. So, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground but when he opened his eyes he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there "'Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. "'He is praying to me right now. "'I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias "'coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. "'But Lord,' exclaimed Ananias, "'I've heard many people talk about the terrible things "'this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. "'And he is authorized by the leading priest "'to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. "'But the Lord said, "'Go.'" For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. There are several things through this story this morning that I I want us to take just a moment to look at as we break this down a little bit. First of all, I want us to take a look at the misdirected Saul. Again, we see that Saul was eager. He was passionate. It was his purpose to stop the movement of the followers of the way. Now keep in mind that as he's doing this, he's going to do this at all costs. He's going to do whatever he has to do. And he has the authority now from the high priest to follow through with it. So there is nothing that is going to be able to stop him from his mission. And he is going at it with all that he has. The message is spreading. This message about this resurrected Jesus Christ. This is a crazy story. How can anybody believe that a man that has died is now alive? This story has to stop. This is not truth. It cannot go on. And the reason that Saul believed this, the reason that this was in Saul's mind and he was so uh, adamant about stopping this is because he did not believe in the resurrected Christ. Yet. So in his mind, he was misdirected. He was misdirected in his thoughts. He was misdirected in his beliefs. But Saul was also very sincere in his thoughts and in his beliefs. I've heard many times people say, "Oh, but, but it's okay because they are sincere in what they believe and what they think. And as long as they're sincere, they're going to be okay because God is going to take their sincerity and somehow He's going to make it right. But let me tell you, you can be sincere in your beliefs, but you can be sincerely wrong. And it's not going to be made right until you recognize the resurrected Christ. That was the way it was with Saul. So he's sincere in his beliefs, but he was sincerely wrong. And so he's going about, he's going to stop this movement no matter what. As I was thinking about Saul and his dogmatic stand against the Christian movement, I began to think of the many people today who are against Christianity and who will do anything they can to stop it. We hear stories all the time of of Christians around the world that are being persecuted because of their faith. Christians that are hiding today as they worship because if someone finds out, then their life is on the line. They may even be killed because of their belief in Christ. It happens around the world and I think many times in, in our country and, and the way that we worship and the freedoms that we have, we forget about some of those that are being persecuted And even in our country today, we're beginning to see persecution. But fortunately, we're not seeing persecution like others may be seeing around the world. And we're not seeing the persecution that these early believers were seeing. But persecution is happening. And just think about in our own country today, those that are dogmatic about Christianity, those who are taking a stand saying, Christians are the evil ones. How how can they even believe that? How can they even think that? I mean, we know that we serve a risen Savior, right? 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 I hope we know that. Because if we don't, what are we doing? And we know that. And sometimes it's hard for us to go, how can you not see that? How can you be that way? And I think a lot of times they're that way because they haven't had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. And again, I say, when you have an encounter with the resurrected Christ, things change. Things become different. And now you have a decision to make on what's going to happen with that encounter with the resurrected Christ. So the problem is, Paul was misdirected in his beliefs because he had not had an encounter with the resurrected Christ and even many folks in our world today are still misdirected in their beliefs. Even though they may be very sincere, they're misdirected. And they need to have that same encounter that Saul had. Remember in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul is talking about his background, he says this about himself. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, when saying confidence in the flesh, confidence of the things that I've done, the things that look at me, I, I am a great leader, and he goes on and He says his confidence came. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law. I was blameless. So he's saying everything that I am, everything that I have done, Everything in my being has been to do what I believe is right in the flesh so that somehow I'll be in good standing with God. But he goes on and he says that everything that was gained to me I now consider loss because of Christ Jesus. The flesh. All the religion in the world. All the things that I can do for myself are as nothing. He goes on to say that they are as dung. And he's following Christ because of what Christ has done. You see, when we see the resurrected Christ, we realize that it's not about religion. It's not about education. It's not about all the things we can accomplish on this earth. It is about what Christ has accomplished for us. And compared to that, everything else is nothing. Not that those things aren't important, but they are nothing in gaining favor with God other than what Christ has done on the cross Paul was basically saying, I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I'd done everything possible. But then, I met Christ. Then, everything changed. Then I want you to notice, secondly, this unlikely conversion that takes place. Here's Saul. He's on his way to Damascus. He's on a mission. He's uh, a warrior that is breathing in and breathing out threats against the followers of Christ and while he is on his way all of a sudden he is blinded by this great light later Paul is recounting the story and he's talking about this light that it happened in the midday and this light was brighter than the midday sun so it's a very bright light so Saul is on his way to Damascus we don't know if he's on a horse if he's on a donkey what he's on but it says that he is knocked down and while he is on the ground he hears a voice, and the voice of Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, Lord, who are you? Now the word Lord there is not the same word Lord that we would use for Jesus Christ. This was Lord, a a respectful term of someone that is in authority over you. Well, At this point, someone's in the authority over Paul, right? Saul. And as he's laying there on the ground, he's blinded. He's been knocked down to the ground. And someone is saying, why are you persecuting me? Uh, Sir, (laughs) tell me who you are so I can answer the question. And notice what is said. Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. This is very important to us that Jesus tells him exactly who he is. And Saul, as he's listening to this, has now had this encounter with Jesus Christ. And it is a very unlikely conversion that Saul has. Why is it unlikely? Saul was so set in his ways. He had his mind made up. There's no way this story about Jesus Christ is real There's nothing that anybody can do that will change my mind. And yet, at this very moment, something changes for him. It is an unlikely conversion. As a matter of fact, I look at Saul and look at how hard his heart was. Look at how cold his heart was. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. He saw how God was working even at that moment. And Stephen, while he is being stoned, says, Don't hold this against them. Saul understood that they were misdirected. They didn't understand. Uh, Stephen understood that. And Saul is witnessing this and nothing changes in Saul's life at that time because his heart was cold. And I'm sure during this process as the believers are being scattered that Saul has heard the stories, he's heard the testimonies of other believers and his heart is cold. He does not buy it. He does not believe it. And sometimes we run across people whose hearts are so cold that I know that I have at times said they are too far. God can never reach that person. You ever thought that? Don't, don't tell me. I want to think that I'm alone on this. They're too far out there. God can't reach them. Sometimes people even think that about themselves. I've done too much. I've been such a bad person. I've done this. I've done that. How can God ever love me? He can't. There's no way. This story is a great picture for us that God can reach even the furthest person away from Him. His mind was made up. His mind was so made up that He was going to kill everyone that believed different from Him. And yet God reached out to Him, got His attention, and His life Was radically changed. An unlikely conversion. There are a couple things about this conversion that I want us to see real quick. The first thing is this, that Christ and the church are one. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul wasn't out persecuting Jesus because he thought Jesus was dead. He was persecuting the church. But this is a great reminder to us that we are one with Christ. As a matter of fact, the the Bible teaches us that when we come to Christ, we are now part of the body of Christ. And as part of the body of Christ, we all have different functions to play, different roles. But we're all part of the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. We are one with Christ. And Christ reminds us of this when he says, Why are you persecuting me? Because when the church is persecuted... Christ is persecuted. Christ has not separated Himself from the church when He ascended into heaven. Christ is still very much a part of the church and when the church is persecuted, He is persecuted and He is very well aware of the persecution that happens in the church. So the question comes up, well, if He's aware of it, why doesn't He stop it? Well, there's a purpose and a plan behind everything and God is at work. Trust me. But one day, one day, we will see Christ take the final stand for the church as the church is removed the church is taken out the church will spend eternity with him in heaven isn't that good news that we will be with him forever and that he is still with us today even though we may go through hard times we may go through difficult times we know that Christ is with us and this is a picture of that and then we see that also that it was suddenly that God got Saul's attention. Suddenly, there was no forewarning for Paul. There was nobody telling Paul, hey, tomorrow God's going to get you. You better watch what you're doing because tomorrow He's going to knock you down. He's going to get your attention. Nobody had told Saul that. So Saul is on his mission. He's out doing what he's doing. He thinks he's right in what he's doing. He's cruising down the road. And all of a sudden, God gets Paul knocks him down, puts him on his back, and says, why are you persecuting me? God knocked him down suddenly. And I think it's very important that that word suddenly was in there. You know, in the church and in this room today, we'd have many different testimonies if we were all to stand up and share how we became a follower of Christ. For some, they would say, you know, I was in the church all my life, and and it was just a gradual thing. I learned more about Christ, and Learn more about him. And then one day I realized that I needed to give my life to Christ. And it just naturally happened. And that's a great testimony. But there are others that would say, I was far from Christ. I was going. I was doing life. It was all about me. I had it all figured out. So I thought. And then all of a sudden, God got my attention. All of a sudden, something happened. Maybe... It was a drastic thing in our life. Something, maybe a loss of a loved one or a friend and something that God got our attention. Maybe it was a time where we thought we had already hit bottom and then something else happened and we finally hit bottom in our life and suddenly God made Himself real to me. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. Suddenly God got His attention. Listen, I believe that God is a gentleman. And I believe that God nudges. And God nudges because God wants us to know Him. God wants us to follow Him. And so He gently nudges. And then those nudges get a little bit harder. And if we continue to ignore the nudges of God, then God will do what He needs to do to put us on our back so that we will look to Him and know who He is. So if God is nudging you today, don't run from Him. Don't turn from him. Listen to that nudge and follow what God is doing before God has to knock you down. And then the third thing is that God allows others to be a part of what he is doing in changing lives. I love this part of the story. Here's this man, Ananias. And God shows up to Ananias in a vision and he says, Ananias, I love how God calls him out by name in this vision. Ananias, pretty good sign this is God, right? And he says, "Uh, I want you to go... And I want you to go to Straight Street, and I want you to go and find this man named Saul. Saul is there. He's praying to me, and he's expecting you because I've also told Saul to watch for a man called Ananias. So you need to go see him. And I love this because Ananias pauses here and he says, wait a second, Lord. Like he's going to change God's mind, right? Wait a second. Have you thought this through? I've heard about this man. And I know that he's got a letter with him and he can do whatever he wants to any of the followers of Christ. Have you really thought this through? I don't think this is a good idea. So God, you need to change your mind on this one. Now, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? But how many times have we done that in our own life? (laughs) Wait a second, God. Is this the plan? Are you sure about this? I think there's a better plan. But God says, nope. You're the one. You need to go so Ananias gets up and he goes and I can almost see him standing there getting ready to knock on the door and he's like one more time God are we sure there's got to be a better way but he knocks on the door by the way that's not in scripture I don't even know if there was a door there but he knocks on the door that's my story I'm going with it he knocks on the door he goes in he sits down with with Saul and and he lays hands on Saul prays for Saul and scales suddenly fall from his eyes and he goes from being blind to now he can see not just physically but spiritually and it says in the story that he was baptized at that time can you imagine what that baptism was like listen you got to read between the lines sometimes in the story I don't think this was like Saul you're healed get up and go Saul's so like okay cool I, I think it was an amazing transforming moment for this man named Saul and I think it was probably one of the greatest baptism celebrations that they had ever experienced because this man who was so far from God can now see he was so blinded but now he knows the truth And so I imagine this baptism was just a great time, and let me tell you, one of the greatest joys that we have in ministry, and that's all of us, all of us can be a part of this, is when we get to be with someone, when their life is transformed, and they celebrate the changing of their life of what Christ has done with them. And in baptism, it's a wonderful time. I remember when uh, we were up in Liberal and There was a man that I was getting ready uh, to baptize, and his life had been changed, and we're getting ready, and I'm telling him, uh, going through how we do it, and it was, you know, the church had the choir loft, and the choir's full, and we got the baptistry up behind, and this guy stands about this tall, and he's about this wide, and he is all muscle. He is huge. He is massive. And I'm telling him, and I'm showing him, as long as I have your neck, I can take you anywhere. You just need to relax, and I've got this. So we get into the water, the baptistry, and we're getting ready to baptize and he decides he needs to help me. I've told him I don't need your help, but he decides anyway he's going to help me. So he throws himself back into the water and it is like a tidal wave that comes up out of the baptistry and drenches the choir. It is a beautiful sight. It was a great day of celebration with one baptism. We got 30 people that day. It was wonderful. And a baptism that I'll never forget. And we celebrate. It's fun to celebrate baptisms. It's fun to celebrate. And I can't imagine this being any different the day that Saul was baptized and his life was changed forever. And that leads to the final point. This is where Christ redirects Saul's life. Look with me if you would real quick. Verses 19 through 21. It says, Saul stayed with the believers in in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying he is indeed the son of God all who heard him were amazed isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus's followers in Jerusalem they asked and didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute all the proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So here's Saul. He's on a mission. He has a purpose. He has a plan. He has everything figured out until he had an encounter with the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His his life was headed on a path of destruction. His Purpose was to end Christianity. His passion was to stop this crazy belief that Jesus is alive. And his destiny was hell. But when Saul had an encounter with the resurrected Christ, everything changed. His life redirected. His purpose has changed. Now instead of persecuting believers, he has become a persecuted believer. His passion that was to stop this crazy nonsense of believing in a man that died and is now alive again? That crazy nonsense has now changed. And now he is out boldly, powerfully, telling others in a way that they cannot refute what he is saying. He has become a powerful leader. And by the way, later his name was changed to Paul. And the reason was that he was taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And that they would receive that name because they understood that name other than Saul. And he is turning the world upside down. His encounter with the risen Savior has drastically changed his life. Which brings me to a question this morning. Have you had an encounter with the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Have you personally had that encounter? Have you had a time in your life where God showed himself to you, revealed himself to you, and you recognized that yes, that is true? And you didn't harden your heart, you didn't have a cold heart, you had a receptive heart, and you gave your life to him. If you have never done that, that is the most important decision you will ever, ever make, is giving your life to Christ. Have you had That kind of encounter. And maybe it was like one of the stories I said. You've just been gradually brought to that. God's been working. You've been seeing. Maybe it was a drastic change like what we've seen in this story. But can you go back to a time where you recognized the resurrected Lord and Savior and you gave your life to Him? Today, if God's nudging you, don't resist the nudge. Give in to the nudge and give your life to Him. As believers, that nudge still comes as God challenges us in new ways and to do different things. Don't ignore the nudge. Don't harden your heart towards Him. Whatever way God leads in your life, follow Him with everything that you have. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You today for this story. We thank You today for this reminder of who You are. The reminder that when we come face-to-face, with the resurrected Christ, that things change. Things become different. And God, I pray today for anyone that's here. Maybe today they have never given their life to you. Maybe they have not ever known you as the resurrected Savior. God, I pray that today you would reveal yourself to them and that today their hope, their heart would be open to you. And today would be the day of salvation. God, I pray as believers today that if you're leading us to something new, maybe, maybe you're wanting to do a new work in us, that God, whatever it is, that your spirit would be free to speak to our hearts and that we would be quick to follow you. God, we thank you for your presence that's with us. In Christ's name that I pray, amen.